Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips. This is a one, the one-year anniversary of our first meetup of these groups. So what I thought we'd do is look at where each of us was last year. I don't know if you're like me, but I really struggle to remember anything. Like some people can remember a lot about the past, don't see much in the future. For me, it's all future and I have very little awareness of my past. Um, so where were you last year? Um, in the last year when we've been talking, what what insights have you had? How's that changed the way that you think about relationships? Yeah, anything like that. What, what, what struck you? What changed? What uh, insights have you had? So if we start in breakout rooms, um, thinking personally where you were last year and then trying to track what insights you've had over uh, on relationships in the last year. Um, for, for those of us that have been quite regular to these, um, we've... We've covered, who can remember what we've covered? It's pretty much every aspect. We've done book reviews of the Gottmans, Helen Fisher, Stan Tatkin, The Four Agreement. There was a pyramid of some sort. Okay. We're not talking about the Egyptians, are we? Actually, nobody's mentioned football. Don't go which there. Is, which is probably best. Um, Don't go there. <laughs> I'm just um, <laughs> Uh, what else? That's a, a love hate relationship for you. Yeah. Between tennis um, and football, I'm, I'm devastated. Don't mention either. Okay. <laughs> now, now I feel like Basil Fawlty. We've talked about dating. We've talked about problems of online dating. We've talked about men and women's different journeys. We've talked about type of relationship. We've talked about, we've done the five day sprint, which was. Uh, reframing the medieval mindset. We've talked about the Think Free Rebellion. The uh, so we've covered most things. We've talked about sex. We've talked about have we done money? Yeah, we've done different frameworks. Uh, sex, money. We haven't done parenting. Um, we talked about trust. So there's a few things that we've we've covered, um, and some people who are newer to the group. Um, and for anyone who's who's is their first time, what we do is we generally we go off into the breakout room to have private conversations. The main room discussion is recorded, so um, all of the past meetups are available um, to listen in, in on. So we usually start with a theme, um, which set up, and then um, we open up to open discussion. Today is really about just sharing perspectives overall. The group. The purpose of the group is to share different perspectives to because it's based on the premise that all of us have an idea of relationships or or whatever, but um, none of us is completely right, and we only find out where we're like our blind spots and where we're wrong in either from living it out and having a problem based on that, or from learning from people with different perspectives. So. Today is just really about sharing whatever each of us has has got in insights in relationships and 
Uh, even if you haven't been here at the group, you, I'm sure things have happened in your relationships where you've learned from or other books or other conversations you've had. Okay, so we're going to go to the breakout rooms. Does anyone want to talk about, does anything significant happened over the last year um, in terms of their relationship journey? As I was saying in the breakout room as well, for me, it wasn't so much as an aha moment, although there were quite a lot of useful techniques and ideas uh, that came across over the past year. Um, I think for me, the most useful thing about these sessions have been the fact that through talking about things and listening to other people, I was able to better understand myself. So I think subconsciously, I perhaps knew things or about myself, but didn't, I know it's difficult to kind of explain, but sometimes I, I used to, for example, for years, I wondered what's, what, what is happiness? Why am I not happy with my life? Well, why am I, why do I feel unhappy? You know, I've got, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got, I haven't got any money problems. I've got a house. Okay. There's a mortgage on it, but you know, it's not like it's unmanageable or anything. So I don't have a problem. I've got a good job and yet I'm unhappy. Why am I unhappy? And now I kind of realize, looking back, it's because in the relationship, I didn't have that emotional connection with my ex. You know, we, we weren't on the same wavelength. Yeah, we were two good people. We made it work. Um, you know, we played our part. And, you know, we, we were respectful towards each other and all the rest of it. But it, there was no magic. And I didn't understand that at the time. I understand that a lot more now. And I'm more aware of what, what I want. What, what are my limitations? What, what, what do I bring to the table? I now know that. At the time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. And as I was saying, when I first got married, if you said to me, do you know what you want? I would have said categorically, yes, of course I do. But in, in reality, I didn't. And if I did explain it to you, it would have been on very naive and laughable terms. Um, like, um, oh, I'm looking for a good person. So long as um, she's got a, a good personality, that's fine. We'll get along. And, you know, if she needs to change here and there, that's all right. I'll help her change. I mean, that's, that's very naive and very... Um, so I didn't realize that at the time. And... I suppose going through a divorce, I've thought about this a lot and also coming to these meetings has kind of helped me clarify all of that. So I'm a lot more comfortable and clear about where I am. What, what, what are my red lines? What do I, what, what can I contribute? What do I expect in return? And so on. So that's kind of been my, my journey, I think. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think, what we need usually is usually we know stuff because we can't learn anything that's too far from what we already know. But we know stuff, but sometimes we just need the separation from ourselves and a situation. Um, and so we can learn it from seeing someone else or from hearing it from someone else can help because someone else maybe has articulated it in a way that we haven't. And then when we see it outside of ourselves, we can take it in. Um, and I think um, 
I think I was in that the the kind of pattern and, and where I think a lot of us get married or get involved and get committed and get married before we've ever worked out what we want or who we are. Um, and so then we're working back from that. Thank you. And this isn't just what you've got from the group, but it can be something that's happened that you've learned from or something that you've learned somewhere else. But it's just looking at um, over the last year, where were you? What's changed? What have you gained from that? Structuring my thoughts using a new brand vocabulary, taking myself out of seeing things from a scientific point of view and going into a different, yes, so I no longer talk about um, plants and animals alone. I, I Yes, I'm now talking about emotional matters and uh, I suppose, but seriously, um, as you rightly said, there are many things that you have come across already, but they come not in any sequential order and they don't come necessarily um, at a time when you probably appreciate it for what it, what, what it actually means. So there's a bit of a jumble. And in that regard, having had all of these conversations for an entire year, um, it does give you a, a, a focus in, in terms of streamlining your thoughts, you know, and um, how to think about some of these things, especially um, some of the graphs um, and the charts that you, because I, I, I'm one of those people who like graphs and charts. I see my world in those <laughs> using those things and that has helped me quite a lot because it summarizes it gives me the overview um which is how i see the world uh, in many respects so it, it has helped me from that um in that regard i learned a lot as well in the last I, i'm not exactly one year in a group however I could say I learn to actually to be myself again, to be not afraid to express it that. Also, how to be active listening, you know, not just about content, it's about context. It's so important because words are just words. The intention behind it's so much more important. And I've been able to actually forgive for my fathers after 20 years. I didn't spoke with him properly, probably what, maybe once five minutes before. And now this year I managed to talk to him and forgive him what was happened in the past. And I realized what he did is just to protect us. Yes, from my perspective, maybe wasn't looks the best one from it. But that's what he tried to do, what he got on that time. You know, nobody was writing a book about this before, you know, no researchers. So he did what he could do in the communism. And that's what I learned. There is no bad people out there. It's just they try to be survived. And sometimes they're just causing 
for somebody a pain, but their intention is not to do that generally. And if you act like that to them back, they will actually give you more, more, how I could call it, more than just love. You feel good after, you know, it's just be understand more to be human being. And that connection, it's honestly, it's just a different word for me. Thank you, Anos. In the last year, I've changed my job twice. Um, and I generally work um, on helpline style calls where people are in a lot of trouble. Um, and what I, what I found um, is that I think the last year has been a great opportunity for many people. I think, I think COVID and the fact that everybody's having to change and some people are struggling more than others has given the opportunity for people to express emotion and importantly, to hear other people's emotions. And I think that's had quite a big effect really on the last year with myself because I'm, because of the type of thing that, that I've been doing for years, I, I, I only work on one level anyway. But to hear more and more people coming through and just going straight to the point, what's hurting, as opposed to, you know, fudging and, and this, that or the other, it's been great. I think it's I think it's something that hopefully is 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 gonna carry on after COVID. And I, I'm hoping that it could be a, a turning point for mental health because it it is it is it's got to such a level that people I mean, I think people generally think that they're supposed to have bad mental health because everybody else has. And not to talk about it is best because um you don't want to burden other people. I think that's the thing. I, I always used to think when I was younger, especially with men, it's, it's being strong and not showing weakness. But actually, the more people I speak to now, especially, you know, chaps around my age, you don't want to burden other people. But actually, you're burdening them more by not saying anything because they haven't the second guess and they don't know what's going on. So I think the last year has been really good for that in terms of, um, uh, you know, self-relationship. Um, is, is sort of quite quite optimistic, but I am finding it increasingly difficult to, to stay in, uh, in in the jobs that I do because I, I'm centrally around finance. Because although although the message um, is is about being kind and, and helping people in vulnerable circumstances, business is still business, and, and a lot of businesses are sort of putting this badge up where they're saying, you know we help vulnerable people, but actually when we go underneath the bonnet, they're not actually doing anything more in terms of their structure and their processes and their practical financial assistance. It's just, actually, they're just asking people to just have a little bit of empathy on the phone really, or, or take a bit more time, but actually they're not necessarily delivering um, on things that they could. Yeah, and that's the frustrating part. So I'm literally in between jobs at the moment because I really don't know where to go next for my next move. You know, um, yeah, it's it's um, that, that's 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 my next challenge, which is part of the reason why I've, I've started coming on here to to listen to other people's sort of journeys and how they've managed change and things like that. Yeah. If you were going to design the solution that would help people and that really would help people and still be 
commercial, would you have an idea of how you would do it? Um, oh, yes. It's very simple, really. But the, I think the thing is, is whether or not the big institutions will take it on board. You know, that's the thing. Because from my perspective with finance, and I, and I think it would be a, a difficult to argue against it, really, is, is, is the fact really money is kind of nondescript anymore. It really, money and debt doesn't really matter anymore because every single country is in debt. You know, the strongest country in the world, which is meant to be America the first, is 21 trillion in debt. I mean, we're all maxed. We all went through 2008 and we all bailed the banks out. And just so money as a concept really is not manageable in the current scheme that it's being played. So, I, you know, there needs to be a, a different dynamic when it comes to money and how we how we manage or view money and control it. And that's just a massive thing. That's a, just a massive thing to go on the table. And it's just such a, it is such a big discussion point, really. That, um, but, but again, with COVID happening, it's possible that, you know, for some countries, they will have to address it because they, they are broke, they're bankrupt to the point where they've lost sovereignty and large numbers of people, unfortunately, are taking the option of not being here. And they'll have to address it. You know, we really do have to address the power mm. of and it's And it's one of those taboo subjects. Um, and that's why I found, because I've got a lot of friends who are counsellors and work in mental health. And that's why when we chat, I, I sort of, I can, exp I don't give them the details, of course, you know, but but basically somebody can speak to me in two minutes and within, within two to 10 minutes, I know exactly the pain point of hurt and pain. Whereas if they go and speak to a counsellor, that might take them four or five sessions to get. And the difference is, is that there's money involved and that is practicality. So somebody might come and take away something I actually functionally need. And therefore, I've got to be crystal clear within my situation. I, can't, I haven't got, you know, that luxury of going through my emotions. And that's why I think mental health groups really should be linking in. And, and banks and organisations like that should be also bringing them in to actually have people working within those institutions, but actually being paid for by the mental health sections. Because, because the very fact that you've got finance and mental health being run by a financial institution, it, it, it doesn't work because the, uh, finance is money and you, you want to get money. So as much as you can try and do the mental health thing, it, it kind of, it's, it's very costly. And, and it goes against core business with a lot of, you know. So yeah. I think we'd have to find some way of integrating it all at some point. Yeah, yeah I, th I think there's a lot of areas where the structure of society is reaching breaking point where things just don't work. Um, like the level of debt is unsustainable and yet no one, it's not politically viable to pay off the debt and get elected. Um Okay, thank you for that. Were you going to pick on someone? No, I was just going to say something, just to follow on from what just Robert was saying yeah. um, and, and what you were saying. Um, and it kind of relates to our conversation in a kind of roundabout fashion. It's because society is built on um, accumulation of resources. So we try to measure the value of everything. You do something, how much is it worth? Oh, it's worth this much. So, okay, you're a brain surgeon, it's worth 10,000 pounds a day, or you're a 
um, mergers and acquisitions lawyer, we can pay you £1,000 an hour. Um, you are a counsellor. What's the worth of a counsellor? Uh, okay, maybe 10 quid an hour, I don't know. You know, so it's, it's a kind of arbitrary value. But that's because quite often we don't understand intangible things, the value of intangible things. What's the value of being kind? And if you're a right sod and, you know, you screw people over and you sell them something that they think they want, even though you know that that's not good for them, you make loads of money. So that's okay. It's legal, right? Um, but if you're a kind person and you go, no, nah, this isn't what you want, actually. You want this. And people go, no, I don't want that. I want something else. And they go off and so all of a sudden that's you don't make any money because that understanding isn't there. So how does that relate back to us? It relates back to us because a lot of us are here not because of money issues, but because we've got maybe interaction issues. Um, and I'm not sort of trying to suggest that we've all got some sort of mental health problems, but I suppose what I'm saying is that our we need to kind of get in touch with or realign our values or at least get in touch with ourselves. And there isn't something you are taught at school. At school, you are taught facts and figures, rightly so, how to solve problems, which is also a very good thing. Um, and part of the reason why I kind of searched out groups and kind of joined and I was lucky enough to find this one is because I'm trying to solve a problem. I know I have a problem, but I don't know what the answer is. So I'm looking for it. And I was lucky enough to find it here. Um, and so at school, we don't really get taught about relationships. I mean, they do sex education, for example. My, I've got a 14-year-old. Yeah, he goes and he comes back and he goes, oh, they told us about these things. Oh, I don't want to know. Disgusting. But they don't tell them about, yes, but you know what? Uh, do you actually understand how to talk to a girl? Do you actually see a girl in the right way? Or do you see her in a more sexual way? You know, it's, it's, it's not about sexually transmitted diseases. It's about the relationship and understanding and connecting. Do you actually know how to talk to a girl to begin with? To, And I don't mean in a way that kind of makes her all go gooey on the knees, but that you can connect to her in a more emotional level, that you actually suss her out. You know, um, I mean, I was brought up in an environment where girls were all like um, delicate flowers, right? You know, um, they're all pretty and nice and clean and fresh. And I'm sorry if any of the girls will get offended by this, but you know what? Girls are just like guys in the sense that some of them are great and some of them are right nasty. And you have to know the difference between a flower and a stinging nettle. And you're going to know, so you don't go and grab all of them and then, you know, find that it was actually a cactus after all, and you didn't realize. So... Because in this society we concentrate on facts and figures and the concept of tangible stuff, intangible things are difficult and we tend to shy away from difficult things. And so as a result, we get the broken society you talk about because we are producing people that are not complete. And for a human being to be truly happy, they have to address the intangible aspect, the social, the, the intellectual, the, I don't know, the emotional aspect. And we don't teach people that. So rather than doing PHSE and talking about all different religions and my son comes home and says, yeah, you know, Jewish this and Muslims that and Christianity that, 
But do you actually understand those people? Do you understand their point of view? Do you know how to understand somebody's point of view, whether you agree with it or not? Do you have the self-discipline to sit there and listen to something you truly do not agree with, and yet try to see it from their point of view, regardless of the fact that you think they're talking a lot of rubbish? Can you do that and be able to explain it back to them and then be able to go back and say, well, how about this and show them some challenges, but in a way that you do not shout over it. So coming back to your original thing, let's not talk about football. I think we should talk about football. You know why? Because it was disgusting the way the British um, uh, fans were booing the Italians every time they got possession of the ball. Are we there as a bunch of hooligans or are we there to appreciate skill? And we should appreciate good football, regardless of which team it comes from. And we should, yes, maybe deplore some of the pulling and pushing we've seen on the pitch because it's football, not a rugby or, you know, some sort of fighting wrestling game. And it is that that we don't see. You know, people go, oh, you know, they've done this and they've done that. And nobody says, well, why was there such disgusting fouls going on that there had to be yellow cards produced? Because at that level, at that place, those people who are potentially role models for young, impressionable minds are displaying hooliganistic attitudes, which then they feel it's justified. And then they behave in a really hooliganistic way and no one says anything. No one says, well, hang on a minute. These guys are guests in the UK. We are in the majority because of the COVID situation. So let's show some respect. You're never going to get rid of all the yellows and red cards in football. No, 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 of course not. But what I'm saying is that the collective attitude of people who struck me is, you know, um, if, if, if Italians are uh, here and they're playing, and if they play good football, then, you know, if you don't want to cheer them, that's up to you, but you shouldn't be booing them just because they got the ball. Yeah, I, I, I think you've made some great points there. I think football sort of is a good one to, one to talk about because what's happened is the game of football has changed. Um, because it's become professional. And people talk about in rugby, they get fouled and they don't make so much difference. But the difference is how much money is involved. And once you get, once money becomes involved, it becomes professional. And so it's not about footballers are, are, are pansies and can't take a kicking. It's the fact that every, every tiny advantage is worth so many million you know, when you look at Messi and Ronaldo, what is it, like, I don't know, 200 million a year or something like that? Um, now, they're great footballers, but they would never, like, if you were, if you were valuing what they did based on the alternatives of, of they had for bringing in money, like, without football, they could never bring anything close to that, not even a fraction of that. Um, and so what's happened is clubs have, there's all this kind of sponsorship, which also came out where Ronaldo was like, not Coca-Cola, just drink water. Um, all of those things have perverted football. So it's about the image and it's about all of these things. And, and this is really 
because people pay ridiculous amounts of money for the shirts, for all whatever else, for the TV rights, um, it's become something that's not really about a game anymore because it's not about um, being better or that. And it is about, part of it is about why it's got so popular is the tribalism element. Um, so, yeah, fundamentally it's, it's the school. Um, the school system is set up to make you a good citizen. What is a good citizen? Someone who produces, who, who makes money for the society. Um, and because of that, emotional health has been completely disregarded. Um, and so there is this valuing of the superficial. Um, and so well, like kids now want to be YouTubers and there's the Kardashians and all of those factors, which mean that the superficial gets valued. Um, and, but it also, it's also in culture. And if you look at, um, so if you look at self-help books, um, it's the superficial like if you look at what probably what's the biggest selling, most recommended book, Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich was is a complete work of fiction. Um, it's like Napoleon Hill was the biggest scammer who was um, changed his name because he was on the run. He's, he's lied about like two of the, like he's only admitted to two of the marriages that he was involved in. He was um, like- Really? Yeah, he was arrested, yeah, he was arrested for um, like domestic violence for um, bullying his, his children. Um, he like he never met. Well, there's no uh, no record and prob- no probability that he ever met Andrew Carnegie. He claimed to be advisor to presidents. There was no record of him ever seeing any of those. And the whole like like he'd written all of these books in kind of like scams um going back years like he there was the scam where he had a timber yard where he used to get all the timber and he'd he'd sell it cheap um and then just run off without paying for it um so he was constantly on the move who is this person napoleon hill who who, like tony robbins and all these are like my life um so Okay, so let's look at the message. And, and the secret is basically taking Think and Grow Rich and bringing it to a modern audience. So Think and Grow Rich, why is it most so popular? Because what he did was he went round and looked at the sermons, like from the evangelist pre, uh, preachers, which sermons got the most money. Um, and they are the 17 lessons of Think and Grow Rich because he knew it was going to be popular. And it's it's... Like even now, like the people who are most popular with um, on social media is basically by taking, um, finding what's going to resonate with someone. Like you look at the most popular viral videos and basically what they're doing is things that people will agree with. So it's all the kind of things that people say anyway. Um, and look like there's ways of, you find what's popular and then you just um, like you test it out and then pitch it. And so there's a lot of, um, it's, it's really our, our values that stuff that's hard, 
stuff that takes discipline is always going to be less popular because fundamentally it comes down to we have to accept the reality that there is. Whereas something like the secret or the diet that tells you that you just eat their smoothies or slim fast or something like that, which isn't actually helpful, is always going to be more popular because it's more palatable. In the same way that like sweeteners, when you look at aspartame and, and sweeteners where there's lots of evidence where it is cancer producing and, and actually um, harmful to us. And if you look at even the, um, um, so lots of people want to be vegetarian, but they still want to eat, make it easy. So they eat corn. Well, corn was produced in an ICI lab. Um, it's completely artificial. There's no like nutritional value in it. So, um, but it makes it easier for people. And so fundamentally we've got to look at the values that we have of like wanting to take the easy option versus confronting the real facts of the situation. Um, that's my little rant for the, for the night. Right. Uh, Iroll, sorry. No, not at all. Um, I think I, I see two points there. One of them is that the value systems do not put a price on intangible things. I think it's quite important to understand that. Um, so what are good manners worth? Well, what, what, what is the worth of a good person? Um, we, we, we haven't posted that out because A, it's not easy to do it and people don't really know how to go about doing it. Um, so we haven't. So in a way, we ignore it. And so it becomes worthless. And that's why we get a skewed reality. That's one thing. The other one, of course, then feeds because you that has got no value, then you end up with the um, disposable society. Um, instant, I, I want what I want and I want it now. And if I don't like it, I throw it away and I get another one. And so you get people applying that to their relationships as well. I mean, you know, it's easier to give up than to try. Um, and, you know, if you want to treat your relationship like a loaf of bread from Sainsbury's, you know, I don't like the taste of this one. Let's, you know, throw it away, get another one. If, if that's the kind of way you're going to look at relationships, then you're not going to get it very far. And, and so people, the, the discipline, I mean, what's that worth? How much money is worth, how much money can you put on self-discipline? Is it easy? Yeah, it is probably isn't, but I would suggest that it probably is worth far more than anybody's salary because self-discipline will help you sort yourself out, sort your relationship out, improve yourself, because you have to be able to know yourself to be able to make yourself do things that you don't feel like doing. Self-discipline is applied in the morning. I don't want to get out of bed because it's rainy and cold and it's nice and warm in the bed, through to I need to get all this work, I don't know, I need to clean the house and it's getting late and I'd rather sit there and watch a movie. You see, uh, you can apply to everything or this project needs to go in and I need to just get on with it rather than doing something that's more fun. So self-discipline applies everywhere. What's the value of that? 
and that there is no monetary value on it. And I think that's where, as a society, we go wrong because we're judging everything by how much something is worth. Uh, I think Daz wants to say something. Yeah, I, j just on that point, I, I, I think it really comes down to I talk about there being in relationships we have a medieval mindset. I think in the whole emotional side of things we do. Um, and if there was more depth of knowledge, there would be um, an equivalent currency. Um, and I think having that currency would enable us to make better decisions, like in business, in all kinds of ways. Um, yes, sorry, Daz. It was not to argue with Errol. Um, I realise he's a, a regular on air, and there are a few people are. Um, I wonder whether sometimes why I've attended a session, it's always been something that's played in my, in my mind a bit. And we might have touched upon it before, or I might have done. Uh, but Errol mentioned about, you know, do we pick up a loaf and at some point we go, well, that's not for me and just go and get another loaf, get a different one. And where I'm leading to is, you know, it's like, where's that line of, do you give up on a relationship? Um, you've tried enough times, three or four times, you've on and off split up or whatever you've done, or you're still speaking and there's only two of you involved, but you're clashing too much. And where that's, you know, let's put that loaf back on the shelf, let's give up on that relationship and try the next one or have a bit of a break, three-week break, four-week break, however long that break is, before you say, I'm going to try the next one or you keep trying at that. And I'm trying to make sure I explain myself is because I saw a post recently saying, you know, it's one person an introvert and another person an extrovert and you're just clashing too much in your, either your beliefs or what you, what you believe you want in a relationship. I remembered a couple of times in one of my most serious relationships and my most serious one, which is four and a half years ago, it ended. Um, I've met people since, but still hasn't lasted as long as that one. And it's basically, it was a bit like, well, I see this in a relationship, but she sees that and said, at one point we've both said, maybe we're too different, but then I've had the argument said, no, we're, no, no, we're not. Um, so it's, you know, at what point do you say, um, we were just too different. Uh, neither of you tried hard enough or communicated well enough. At what point you say you two weren't meant to be? Um, I'm not, I don't debate that. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I don't know whether anyone's seen it recently. It's a bit of a comical moment. I've just watched a series <laughs> on Netflix. It's quite common uh, called, I think it's called Sex Life. Um, Not the one with kids. Or is that sex education? There's one that's like it was in a school. No, that I think that's sex education. I think oh, okay. I watched that. It's sex life. There's all about seven episodes. I've watched it. I've so watched it. In one of the very latest, one of the very last episodes, she turned around to the guy, which stuck in my head, and said, "The difference between you and I saw when I was 20 years old. I don't. She was youngish, anyway." And the difference between the guy you're married with now and got two kids with is he's never hurt me or he's never wanted to hurt me. And that stuck in my head. Uh, but me and the thought was saying, you know, at some point when you've got two loaves, when do you not got two loaves? At one point, do you give up on one loaf and say, I'm going to 
have a break or I'm going to try something different. I hope I've explained myself. Um, yes, I, I think that's a good question. I think it's a good question to open up because it's like I'm thinking about that now. You've got stay or you've got go. Yeah. So you've got stay or go, right? And there's a spectrum. Um, but that's like, it's a very 2D choice. Right. And I think what we need to do is dimensionalize it more. So if you've just got that, it's about, um, and I'm trying to think what, what dimensionalizing it is, but it's about the awareness of is it fixable or is it not fixable? Um, and I think there's a scale on there. So rather than it being like 2D, which is a, a binary choice, it's then about like the other dimension of whether it's fixable. So, so if you imagine, instead of it being a 2D choice, it is stay or go, it then becomes a 4D choice, like a, four, uh, a quadrant. And it becomes like, could you stay in it? Be, it'd be better. Could you stay in it? Be worse. Could you go and it be worse or could you go and it be better? Um, and then does that make sense? So it's, it's more dimensionalized because I think it's not just one question. If that's where you're leading to, it's not, should you stay or go? It's like, you know, can you make changes? Can you compromise? Can they compromise? Can they make changes without making yeah. this and I'll repeat again, you know, I've got much respect for a number of individuals here. Um, who I've listened to in the past. Um, I, you know, was willing to make changes to cut going out with my mates, you know, once a weekend, every weekend. So that was my going. I tell you what, I think I can make more. I tell you what, um, I don't on your own, your son, not my son. And if you want me to, I'll come to his parents' evening at school if you want, with you. So I was stepping back and thinking, I know somebody else is sniffing around you. Is uh, and maybe you know thinking, well, hang on, can I do any more? Yeah, but the other person said, I can't do any more. And he said, and in fact, one, you know, maybe things weren't a bed of roses at the time, but they turned around and went, um, it's you that has to change, not not me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes, see, there, one of the big problems is we don't always get the truth from someone, and sometimes someone's made the decision. Um, but they just don't want to come out and say it and they want to blame other factors. But yeah, I, I think the key generalizing, not, not, not talking about your specific situation, but like in the, in these discussions, they, they tend to be abstract because if we talk specifically, it doesn't relate to everyone. Um, but I think it's, it's more, however many more dimensions you can add in is the richer the, the decision, um, you can make, um, but sometimes, yeah, the decision isn't always, like, sometimes the decision's made. The details are getting sorted. But can I ask, if, if you know who you are and you know what your your core values are and you know what your needs and your wants are, and if you're being open, honest and transparent and you're communicating to that person, either they're meeting you where, they, where you are and they're communicating back or they're not. In other words, if they're not meeting your needs, then... You have to pick up another loaf of bread, otherwise you'll starve to death, won't you? Um, At the whole point of, of a relationship, that your needs are getting met. Uh, sorry, so, so what you're saying is, is you're in a relationship, you're not really happy because your needs aren't being met. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's time to move on. Well, yeah, if you communicated openly, honestly and mm-hmm. transparently, either they're meeting you where 
you are, or if they cannot or they will not, then what other option do you have other than to go and get another loaf of bread lest you starve to death? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think the situation Daz is talking about is I, I, I'm reading between the lines. I don't think there was open and honest conversation, uh, discussion about it. Um, but to, to put it more generally, yeah, to put it more generally, I think when two people meet, the truth of whether it's going to work out or not is already there. It's how long it takes to get the truth from the other person. What do you mean by already there? Everyone's got a, a framework of what they expect from a relationship, what they, how they feel it's going to, how they feel relationships run, how they feel like the, the way that they approach the relationship, how willing they are, the capacity to be open, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be respectful, to have integrity, all of those things. They're already set in the person. How honest they are means you might not find that out for 10 years. Like, and how aware you are. Um, because someone can put, like, all of that stuff only comes out in the right context when you're challenged in the right situation. So when people first meet, they usually present differently from how they are. And then as you get into the relationship, you realise, like, all of us have been scarred. All of us have um, misunderstood things. All of us have been hurt um, that haven't healed. All of us have ideas that aren't going to work out um, and all of that is what causes the problems in relationships so it's really someone's like Dan Wilde says when you marry someone you marry a set of problems um, and so it's really someone's problems determine how your relationship's going to go and your problems determine how theirs is going to go so whether you don't pay them enough attention, whether you um, don't treat them so well, whether you can't cope with being angry, whether you um, secretly addicted to drink drugs, um, whether you're going to have affairs, all of those things are pretty much set um, in how willingness, how the willingness to, um, to be open, the willingness to work things out, the will, the need to stay in the relationship, all of those things are going to determine how the relationship plays out. And yes, people will change, but part of, of whether they'll change and how much they'll change depends on their willingness to change. And all that is set initially at the beginning of the relationship. Yeah, so when you when you say you're their framework, or you, you could say like before you use the word operating system, or you're talking about their attachment style. Yeah, all of that, all, all of all of like what's happened to them in childhood, what they expect, mm. um, the assumptions that they have, like their communication style, and whether they're willing to communicate the capacity. All of that is set, and how the relationship develops just depends on when all these things are whittled down and and at the end is you get the truth and most people leave a relationship and go oh my ex was shit and and they were they were a bastard and all this stuff and they weren't necessarily but it was like we've talked about like that graph of the normal relationship goes like that and there's a point where that brings out the worst in people 
Um, and so we've also talked about the point when a relationship's kind of finished and then someone's checked out, but it's like on average, people take six years to leave a relationship. In those six years is when they have the affairs. In those six years is when they switch off and grow apart. In those six years is is when they do the thing that they get that later that explains why the relationship broke. But a lot of the bitterness and the anger that people have at the end of a relationship is because they were bringing out the worst in each other. Um, is the onus then not on on us to have the the level of um, self awareness and honesty with ourselves, and to see that person for what they are, and to be aware that what we see superficially in the first few months isn't all there is. What I'm saying is, is yeah, everybody's got their baggage, but if we're aware of that and we're not lost in a Disney fantasy, then we're not falling in love with with the mask, as it were, and we're taking our time. Yeah. If we if we raise the bar and we're looking for that open, honest, transparent communication, if that person isn't meeting us there, that's the information we need and we can make a decision then. Do I eat this loaf of bread, which is stale, or do I buy another one? Yeah. Um, that's exactly. our responsibility, isn't it? Because we can't, we can't be in a relationship with someone and say he or she wasn't communicating and then we're just sitting there for seven years. If we yeah. have the awareness and the self-respect we deal with that information and we make an appropriate choice. Yes. So, so that's really how you go in with a, like an evolved understanding and relationship operating system. Um, and there's three, three really free will real ways that we, um, that we delude ourselves. There's either dogma that we follow the dogma. we we just don't know it. We're just not aware of it or emotionally, um, and however much we can talk about, um, don't get over-invest too early, all of these things, we still will just because we're animals and emotions override logic. Um, okay. So we got, we got a cue. <laughs> um, I, I saw Carl Janos and then it was either Aslam or Sandra, but you're going to have to fight it out. Okay. So at the moment, Rob, I'm trying to figure out where this is going because as it stands, Roberto Mancini, you're not selling this very well. So the first thing you said is, oh, well, you're going to get into something, but you're going to marry a set of problems. Fuck. Then you're saying there's the Disneyland fantasy. Actually, it's not what you think. It's all flowers in the beginning. That's all chemicals. That look. So why do it? Why? Why get divorced? Why lose half your estate I, I, can you actually sell me on why we're here and because otherwise i'm gonna get a flashlight or something so i need you to tell me why bother okay well if you get a flashlight and then come back in six months because when you find that's not enough because we're animals so um like if you look at a dog or wolf they join a pack it's because it's what they do um it's because i don't know why is it because of survival is it because of we want to reproduce our genes um it's deep wide in us is is a basic need we can do we can do um we can't do without oxygen like for minutes we can do without water for maybe a day food for maybe a month and a half um, 
about three months. Um, but how long can you do without connection? Um, so we, we need connection. We're built, we're hardwired for connection that we need it. We need the whole status thing of feeling useful, feeling like in some way we're valued. Um, so that's the reason. The wedding is artificial. The engagement ring, the Facebook posts, they're artificial, but they're manifestations of a biological need. Yeah, all the things that people are sold on, part of why relationships are so, create such emotion is because there's a lot of mythology around it and there's a fear that we're not going to get it and anxiety. Most people have a relationship anxiety and anxiety that relationships will never work out for them. Because of that, that changes the way that we go to a relationship. So we don't just take what happens. We get emotional, we get hurt. Um, and the hurt causes us to lash out. And so the person that we were closest to, the person that we love the most becomes the person we hate the most. Um, and it's because of that, that wiring. So, okay. How do you do relate? Like, how do you do relationships without that? You, you, is about the more realistic you are, the less bitterness there is. So that relationships are about bringing out the best in each other. And part of that is recognizing that we are the one making up the story. We are the one that's putting people on pedestals. We are the one that's building it all up. And we're, it's, it's really us. And the extent that we blame someone else is the extent we don't have any control over it. And when we don't have any control, then we have, like, we're victims of chance. Um, and so, so yeah, there, there is, um, there is a relation. You can have the relationship. The thing about relationships is it's not about relationships. It's about the relationship journey. And the relationship journey means, like, I always say that you, you don't have to change for a great relationship, but a great relationship will change you. Because really what we're going for is not really what we want. And in the process of getting there. So, okay. So the basic conflict in a relationship is I want this, you want this. There's this dream. And we both think, we might think when we're a long way away, we're going for the same place. Like if we were traveling from here to New York, we'd think we were going to the same place. Yep. We were right on the same page. Yeah. We want exactly the same things. We get to New York and we're completely miles apart. Um, and that's when the problem shows and it's recognizing no one has the same vision as you. No one is exactly the same as you. That basic conflict is because part of what you want isn't like, isn't really what you want. And we need a higher level of thinking. And so it's breaking the box of that and then rebuilding it in the relationship. Okay. Thank you. Um, Janos, and then it's either Sandra or I'm not, I'm not sure if I've got your name right. Is it, as, is it Sibila, your first name? Right. Sorry. Uh, Janos. So yeah, last time we talked about, it's about the child love, you know, everybody looking for that kind of love. And that's actually make me realize we're all looking for that kind of person 
who looking at us like as the innocent child, you know, with all that beast personality as well, what we got, what we have to do sometimes in order to survive, to somebody accept with that. But in order to do that, we have to be happy and we should accept ourselves first. But that's where it's coming. We do not accept in ourselves that. So how we want others to recognize and valued and appreciated for it, you know? We all what we're looking for it to be wanted, to be to be needed, to be valued by someone. But if we don't do it ourselves, how you want somebody to do it? And most of the times, let's be honest, we overthinking. Before we even approaching the ladies, we already have a dream how we'll be with the children translate on. Same with the women, before it's actually the men's approaching, they are thinking, oh, how will be in the bed or whatever, you know, how will be the chat, whatever. We all overthinking, rather than to be in one, in the flow zone. I think the SEAL team really nicely describing that, when they do get in a one meter zone, they're not thinking further than one meter. We, as the humans we overthink over the one meter zone and that's when we get anxiety that's when we get all that shit it's that's when we get fear and all that guess what you only can control in one meter zone what it's no further than that it's 90 percent of things will be out of your control even tried that will cause frustrations and it's killing you inside and actually asking that, it's actually what you feel. It's that anxiety, it's excitement, because that's very similar. That's that close for each other. We just label it because we don't understand. When we don't understand, we try to get over it so easy by looking, just putting a label on it. And that's when we're not experiencing the feeling. Let's think about what you actually feel. What is actually there in front of you? Who's that person in front of you? Let it to be expressed. Let it be show. We don't need over control. Uh, Sandra or Sabila? First to, first to unmute. Okay, I'll just quickly say, um, yeah, Janos, um, that's called, I think, being in the present, being in the moment. Um, is it, well, I know nothing about this. Okay, so please educate me. Um, is that part of the whole tantric um, experience? Where Definitely, if you want to be deeper on the tantric, it's part of it that. Yeah. When you're looking deeper in the eyes of the person, you're reaching the soul, you're touching not just the skin, you're touching actually the soul with your eyes and with your words, with your intention, with your smile, with your smurf. 
Ooh, now I've got to go find a tantric person. Oh, I have got to experience this. All right. It's on my list. <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to pick up on note. Hold me to it. I've got to find one. Um, I'll take I'll take a recommendation since I know nobody. Um, but anyhow, um, I think um, Betty, to build on what Betty was saying, um, the notion, the, the the idea that yes, when you identify that someone is not compatible with your um, your requirements, your your needs, or they're not, yeah, you just decide that this is not going to work. The other step is to make the decision after you've made that decision is to do the break. Is to get is to remove yourself, and that I think requires another set of um, attributes, because I think there are lots of people who recognize that a person that they have met is not quite right for them, and how? But how do you how do you break that apart? How do you move out of that? How do you move away from that? To me, it takes another set of um, strengths that you also need to have at your disposal to to move away from 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 something that is not um that you recognize is not going to be good for you or meeting your expectations and i think many of us neglect that part of it and we are not good at doing that the breakup bit is not something that we're good at yeah yeah, I mean, it, it really, I think it comes down to it's, the, it's all three of the three things. It's um, it's dogma, where we think um, there's this like societal pressure to stay together. That it's a failure if a relationship doesn't work out. Um, there's like the uh, is it's sort of like the ignorance of of not knowing how someone else will respond, or not knowing what's best, not knowing if you're harming them by by leaving, um, and then it's all the emotional biases of all of those things. But can I just say, is the purpose of a relationship, or is the purpose of this education, not to give you the tools so that you can make the correct decision as you're going along? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean that that that's the idea that this isn't the whole point that we should be well informed and self-aware and honest with ourselves and by extension honest with the other person. So we're not in a relationship for twenty-five years with someone we can't stand, or we're not sitting there for six years waiting to leave. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, so. Part of that is awareness. Part of that is is, and is knowing. But the un, then the other part is the emotional part, where when we're not used to doing something, it's difficult first time. It's difficult second time. Um, so there's a difference between knowing what to do. So so the first part is I think if we know that, um, because I think all of the problems that we have in leaving the relationship are in things that aren't necessarily true, but that we think are. So the awareness and, and the um, knowledge then um, like shines a light and 
can push us over the edge. And then it's about having the emotional capacity to do it um, because it can be scary because and we're, and there is all kind of emotional ties to that. Um, there's a lot of colourful opinions here. I was I was just going to agree with a lot of what Betty said that I feel like your core values need to align with the person. And when we first meet someone, everybody's on their best behaviour. And over time, we figure out what each person wants. And I feel like we need to be more transparent in the initial stages and <laughs> compatibility. And I think love languages, aren't there like five or six different type of love languages? And I, and when it comes to awareness, I feel like we need to understand that the way a person's brought up, like your government and your educational system and your upbringing, all this plays a huge part in who you become as an adult and how you function. So I feel like everything's hard. Like marriage will be hard. Separation will be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. And ev this applies to every relationship. This is, I feel like my opinion is that any relationship is a partnership. So you're only supposed to contribute 50% and the person in front of you is supposed to contribute the other 50%. And if there's a mismatch, if you're contributing 60 to 70% and that is having an impact on your mental health and you're feeling exhausted, I think that's when you need to start considering, is this the best route? What can I tolerate? What can I not tolerate? And happiness-wise, I don't think we should have to rely on an external person for happiness. You're supposed to be happy within yourself and then come together and be a unit and be happier. And last thing I want to mention on this, um, on the chat, the stigma behind divorce is coming up a lot. I feel like, you know, when people get married, we don't question it. We think that's awesome that two people are coming together, sharing a life, sharing their financial security, emotional security. I feel like divorce should be seen in the same light because if you, if we were to leave a job or if we were to leave our best friend, no one would question that. People would just think, oh, you weren't compatible. You've gone and found yourself something better. So I think divorce should be seen in the same way that, okay, this didn't work out. We should be able to go and find something better without having to be afraid of people's judgmental views. Very true. Um, I think, I think there's, there's a fundamental conflict in life in that we are biological animals but we live in an artificial world. And so most of our problems come from the fact that we're trying to fit into something that we, that isn't natural. Um, and we're trying to, um, so there's certain ideals which have cut, which have cropped up in the same way. Like I talked about the whole thing can grow rich. Like there's this whole, culture which values certain things which was based on nothing more really than fiction in the same way i like that's not new that's a 20 20th century adaptation of what various religions um, and different social programming have has done for centuries and millennium um, and so many of these we're trying to fit artificial systems that were set up for someone else's game. Um, and they've just become, we've become indoctrinated and, and there's so much lazy thinking that we, we say, yeah, marriage, good, divorce, bad, um, without any more dimension to it than that. 
Um, thank you. Um, Veronique and then Carl. Um, so many things I hear here. Well, <clears throat> um, well, I, I think this this it's a playing field, basically. It's just a playing field here. We're here just to learn to grow, and and whatever experience we we have is perfect for our present state, basically. And and if we if if we if we were uh, educated that way, it would be, be much easier, basically, because um, we would know what to do, we would have a manual, but it's not the case. It's a very harsh environment, because the, what I'm hearing now is like, how old are we? At what point do we learn this, you know? And, and, uh, and so, I mean, I know everything is perfect as it is, but it's very, very painful. It's really harsh. And, 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 and because we are like animals, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm trying to, to, to get back to, to be with the man. So I'm even, I've just done one of those apps. And when I see someone, I think, you know, I, I'm disgusted. I, I can't even go forward because my heart is nothing like, the minds of most people, and and I mean, Janos expressed it so beautifully earlier. But it took COVID, you know, to really realize this. And COVID has been a, such a blessing because we are going inward. We are going to back to 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 the to inside where we come from, which is not the physical. It's it's really it, it's inside, and it's from somewhere else. It's not even from us. I don't even think we actually exist. Everything comes from from internal to to make us, you know, to give us advice, to make us talk, to to make us understand. At every stage, we have a certain guide that gives us this opportunity, and and I think we're here to help each other. It looks like, and so it's really beautiful to hear this because, you know, before COVID, I would never have come to any of these beautiful meetups, and and I'm really really touched by what's happening here, you know, and, um, <clears throat> but there's so many, so many meetups like this I've, I've experienced through the last couple of months. And, um, but, 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 but hearing everybody, uh, you know, I, I, I really, uh, with my app, if somebody tells me something, I, straight away I'm going to say, no, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe anybody anymore. I, I say, no, you're probably married. And, you know, and I'm actually really not nice when I speak to people because my, it's my neighbor that, that told me about this app when he came to visit me two days ago. And he was so enthusiastic and he said, but don't trust anyone because they're all playing games and blah, 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 blah. So, so now I'm saying, no, I, I don't believe what you're, what you're, what you're you know, and that's how I'm feeling about everything in this planet. It's, it's funny when you look at it that way, but it's actually really upsetting when you're in a bad relationship. And But even in a relationship, it really looks like when you're ready, you don't tolerate, you move on. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Divorce is a blessing. An argument is a great blessing because if you really look at it, it it it, it makes you see what you are, where you're at, and then you decide. And hopefully, at that moment, you have all the guidance, like here, what's happening here on this chat just now to to make us you know be who we are authentic to take the the strength to have the courage because even i you know i i, I resonate with everything however how many times like I, I i won't do this because i don't have the incentive even though i have the knowledge so if we don't have the incentive we're beaten 
We can't do anything. You can't get up and turn on this or do this act. We just can't. We are completely, you know, uh, overtaken by by whatever uniqueness of emotions or, or brain or, you know, whatever our characteristics are as a human. And we are made that way because we already decided before we came that this is the lessons we're going to learn. It, that's it. But it's, 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 it's difficult. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I kind of had forgot something, but I, I'd like to present this image. And I, I hope that it's less um, presumptuous or, um, uh, how can I say, judgmental. And the image that I'm holding, and I want to see if this works. Is I, the, hello? I, after your earlier comment, I'm just wondering what image you're going to present. Yes. <laughs> that's why I got my cam off. No. Um, yeah, that's what I was just wondering. Wait, what? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm, uh, no. So, uh, well, maybe you don't know, do you? But the image that I'm presenting is that you have um, um, person one on the left, person two on the right. So gender neutral there. And What's in the middle of the two people is a plant, okay? Now, different plants have different needs, but if you just work with, there are things that are going to nurture that plant and there are elements of behaviour that are going to kill it. So rather than looking at blame, good person, bad person, which I still think can be upheld, but you're actually realising that if you shout at people, that will harm the plant. It, it, we, we understand that that sort of behaviour is not nurturing. Is there any debate? Is there any, does anybody debate that in a relationship, if you shout, talk aggressively, say nasty things, that that is good and healthy for a relationship? I mean, okay, sometimes it's cathartic, but that's about as best as it gets. So, is it not looking at the things that are going to nurture a relationship? I remember in, in the sprint, it was one of the key factors, actually, um, nurturing the relationship. But we haven't necessarily said how. Uh, and for me, I'm learning what doesn't nurture it. I've had to learn the hard way years ago. Um, and I've also been on the receiving end of it, you know, in more recent times. So... Yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to present that image to people to see that it's not necessarily about person one or person two on the left and the right, but that plant in the middle and what you're bringing to it. And somebody, uh, I think it was Sabila, brought up about 50-50 and what both people are putting in. Yeah, but it's also about the qualities. Somebody could be putting in 50% of garbage. Um, so um, I think that's enough. It's also the chemistry that one person activates something else in someone, someone else. So I think what, what makes it, um, what nurtures is about freedom. I think ultimately the, the, the difference between a good and a bad relationship is freedom and control. And um, so uh, the like deliciously nutritious relationships in the, in the sprint talked about um, if you come with vulnerability, it creates a certain atmosphere um, by Sabifa. Um, if you come with integrity, if you come with presence and if you come with kindness. Um, and so they're really what universally nurture people. 
Um, and then the opposite creates a different dynamic. So, so yeah, there, there are obviously, I think that the thing is that it, it's so um, individual that um, what, that the same person, so really when, so like, Carl, you, you could, you could be with this, this person, this person, and this person, and the relationship would work. And then you could be with this person, this person, this person, and it wouldn't. And it's really that the truth about that was all really set. And when, like, as the relationship plays out, that truth comes out. So, yes, there's there's universal um, there's universal uh, behaviours. I, I don't want to be as prescriptive as behaviours because then it's it's like there's a chart of of what, but it's about ultimately it's about the emotional capacity of both people and what happens um, and when when they it's, okay. So there's that capacity of there's like the above the line and below the line and there's above the line relationship, which is where the atmosphere is, is healthy and, and they're responding and they're vulnerable and stuff like that. And then sometimes it can be someone's going through stress um, because of that, they're below the line. Um, so in every relationship there, we're all going to break, like we all float above and below. So we're all going to shout at times. We're all going to do things that are detrimental. Um, and I think the Gottmans talk about having a ratio of five to one. Um, Can you tell us what the elements of emotional capacity are again, please? Okay, so um, I think this this book really talks about it, uh, power versus force. And it's saying power is above the line where you're strong. Force is where you're below the line and you're basically trying to control someone and trying to force them and manipulate them. Um, so, okay, so what are the elements? Um, it's really about how someone behaves and, and the fundamental is, so if I look at what I've um, um, clarified or what, what I've insights I've got is how much is about capacity. Um, because everything else rests on your capacity. So there is your capacity for dealing with stress, your capacity for dealing with anxiety, your capacity for um, how much the level of pressure and stress that you have to be under before you're below the line. Um, and so it's about, number one, reducing the stresses in your life, creating the environment so that you're stronger, creating um, the ability psychological, physically, of being able to cope with those things and be above the line. Because I saw a quote um, recently that hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, happy people make people happy. Um, and that's basically um, what it is. And, and the truth 
of whether a relationship works is how much you can make each other happier. So, like, then you can't, I don't think you can have a list of prescriptive things because we've all broken them at times, but it's the ratio, it's how much. Um, and you can never, you can never prop someone up. Um, and so it's not about, I'll help them change, I'll, I'll, or, or I'll make them stronger. It's about, does it work? This is really, can I be myself and be loved and love? And if you can, that's the relationship that work. And if you can't, it's a relationship that your efforts are going to artificially prop up. Um, and, but sooner or later, it's going to, it's going to crash. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a, a lot to take on, but yeah. Thanks. Um, well, sorry, Rob. I think there's, there's also quite an obvious thing for me personally, when, when you look at, when we talk about marriage and divorce, and um, historically, and we're all probably within that category, actually, in terms of our ages. Um, we have lived, certainly I've lived through it, and anybody I would suggest that's sort of, you know, this age, my age group, uh, would have lived through it. And, and that is, we're in a, an incredibly misogynistic society in every facet. So if you go back to the 1960s or the 1970s, um, if you were a woman and you weren't happy in your marriage, you, you just couldn't financially divorce. And women were, on often occasions, being beaten because they would have to do what their husbands would tell them to do. Now, when you go through all of that, and that was only a generation ago, you then have people bringing up their daughters, and as society's changing, you're not going to want your daughter to go through the same thing. So I think that sort of levelling out and battle of the sexes has got a lot to do with this particular generation that we're in at the moment as well. Because, um, you know, some, some men may have grown up with a certain view of what masculinity is and what being a dad and a strong man is. And then there may be some women who actually want to fight against that. And, and that's something that's inherent from us from when we're four or five, you know, and when we, when we grow up. So we're still through an evolutionary change in society. And I think this generation is, is sort of catching it now at this age, <laughs> when, we're, when we're sort of my age plus, um, because, because society's changing and it's evolving in, in a very positive way. So I think I, I'm not at all surprised that divorce is, is, is a high percentage at the moment, because there's a lot of baggage historically that's coming through where potentially maybe one or the other may decide they're not putting up with it. They've seen they're in their childhood. And then when it's more level playing field and, and, and things start working out for better and both sexes are, have the same opportunities, the same salaries, um, the same freedoms, you know, there, there's not an emancipation either way. And then we can sort of just be human beings. But I, 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 I think a lot of people suffering, in, like you were saying before, things that happen as a child map out things that are going to happen later in life. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all carrying a lot of baggage from that. But it's, it's good baggage because hopefully the next generation's coming through. People like us now, hopefully if we do have children, hopefully we'll bring them up more level playing field. So it needed to happen. I, I, was, I was thinking about the Spice Girls when the Spice Girls came out 
And I thought, well, how absolutely significant the Spice Girls were. And a lot of my friends used to kind of, they couldn't get like, well, why are Spice Girls so big all over the world? It's like, it's, it is literally girl power. You know, you've got to understand what the message they're giving. You know, it is equality. Um, and that was, and, and, and that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing for a generation of, of maybe men to be challenged on what is being seen as their ground. Because historically, you may have been brought up in an environment where things aren't necessarily equal. And there are there are definite male roles and there are definite female roles. But, you know, and society's getting smashed all over the place, you know, with, with views of what men and women are. And we're becoming more human now, I think. So, so I think like, like this generation's, we're privileged in a way to sort of sit back and see those changes coming through. Um, but at the same time, if, if we don't, for me, if I don't stop back sometimes and, and take in all considerations, it can be very confusing because there seems to be a lot of shouting from a lot of people for all sorts of reasons. But it's not surprising because things have actually changed a lot. Mm. I, yeah, that was just a little observation. <laughs> yeah. um, right. I, I don't know if it was Janos, Veronique or Sibila. Question it's very probably ah no, she left it on. So yeah, when you say drop the power and force, for me what really means the power and force, it's it's completely different level when last year I started reading about that. For me, force it's all about when you try to control things. And let's be honest, we all do that. We try too much, and that's actually using 90% of our energy and be surprised after we don't have energy. That's all about the force. You just overthink. You're always having, you know, the answer for everything. You need to have answer for everything. Let's be honest. Does it really true? It's bullshit. There will be always 1% answer for everything. And everybody do have right in their own way. Power, it means for me more like when you can step back and you can stand there, even when the people will try to bullying you, even when people will try to, you know, abuse you, even when people will try to um, actually assault you or your team, and you still can be stand there and standing up and just look it in their eyes. And the person will move away after. Because actually, with the power of silence, you defeat the person. That's the power. It's not what we all think. The power is sometimes to not do anything, really. That's what I realized recently. I had a customer on Saturday who was standing up, was ready to punch me, you know. And I was just standing there. My eyes didn't even move a second. I asked him to move and leave the restaurant now before he get done. And you know, straight away, everybody was more happy to see if the situation can handle when you don't need to actually do the punching, you know? My teacher was always said, when somebody have to go for the physical uh, part, it actually means it's mentally it's so weak, it cannot defeat the other person by words. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Sabila. 
I just wanted to add on what Robert was saying about misogyny and the patriarchal system in society. I feel like, you know, since the beginning of time, there were two two sexes and one oppressed the other. And in like, in like the caveman era, for example, it made sense because gender roles worked in, in that time. Um, but in today's society, I feel like men and women are supposed to complement each other rather than compete with each other. And society is a construct, it's man-made. We, we can change this. So, so I feel like when we walk into like a meeting room, for example, I don't want to be judged because I'm a woman or because I come from an ethnic minority background. I'd rather people judge me based on what knowledge I hold and how I speak and what I have to put on the table. So I feel like all these things should be secondary and the primary thing should be basic fundamental human rights. And everybody's a human being and that basic common decency or human decency, I think that is what should prevail. So, but I do have a lot to say when it comes to, like, racism is a hate crime in the UK, but misogyny isn't. And I'd love someone to push on that movement and have misogyny be a hate crime because times have changed and we've come so far. Even, like, you know, rape in marriage, it was only deemed illegal in 1991. And if you think about it, that's not even that long ago. Or Sexual Offences Act, they only came out in 2003. And again, that wasn't long ago, if you actually think about it. And this whole quote that boys will be boys, that's such a wrong thing to say, because boys will be what we teach them to be. And like in schools now, young girls are being told how to dress. But why is someone being told to cover up or to dress differently? Why aren't we teaching people how to behave? I think there's a lot's changed because of different movements that are politically correct. But I think they can, they can uh, cover up like hidden prejudices. So I think people learn the words not to say without actually having changed it. Um, so I... So I think sometimes, um, not not saying that it's, it's a bad thing, I'm just saying that when we, what, what we really need is for people to see the stupidity of prejudice, the damage that prejudice does to them. Um, and as people evolve, and I think this is really like the power versus force, where I think what happens is there's a lot of um like the whole camp can the cancel culture where um certain certain triggers create a, um a reaction but equivalent triggers don't um and so there's there's this um where like people learn. So I think like when we look at Brexit and Donald Trump, what that showed was that there a lot of racism had been hidden, but it was still there. Um, and so I think, I think the movement, the movements and the, like the pressure is brings awareness. So I think at the moment you've got like the me too, and I think um, black lives matter and, um, the gender 
um, aspects are bringing awareness, but awareness is the first step. Um, but it's really about when we start teaching in schools about all the things that we talked about, about emotional awareness, um, all of those things, that takes the, the war out of it. Because I think what, what we have at the moment is a bit of a war. Um, and there's a war. And so it's, it's kind of men versus women. And it's not all men versus all women, but there is, there's like the more that those, the more that we f like create the, the pressure for, for change without bringing people along. Um, what happens is then, then there's like subcultures of men that become red pill theory and go underground with these. So I think in the sixties, America, you had like all the KKK and all of these things that became more active as the civil rights changed. Um, so I think there's one level is on awareness, but the real change is going to come with the emotional growing up really, because what this really is about is, is emotional imm immaturity. And it's because particularly men have never had to deal with. So like me as a, as a white middle-class male um, have not really had to deal with the, you know, like the whole thing of, of white privilege. We haven't really had to deal with that. We've had society and everything slanted in our favor, but what is happening now to middle-aged um, middle-aged men is that the world is changing and men are struggling to cope with that, which is why there's the high suicide level. So I think there's, there's, um, I think we do have to push to, for awareness of change, but we also have to support um, the people who are, who are kind of seen to lose out, if that makes sense. Does that it make makes sense? sense, but also we are not good at explaining and helping people to accept change. Yeah. There is, a, as you say, a group of, of, of middle-aged men who uh, are quite feel quite inadequate in dealing with some 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 aren't even familiar with with using a computer properly and a smartphone to do all these things you know apps and online banking and all of those different things and it's like you're talking a different language to them and so they feel cornered. Um, by the various technologies, that's one. And then you're going to add other layers to that of change. And it becomes quite overwhelming because then the world becomes an alien place. And you think, okay, I go to the refuge of my home where I am king. And suddenly your wife says to you, oh, no, you're not. Where is left for me? I don't even have a man cave where I can be king of my domain so who am i now where do i go and therefore if i find another male who's as angry as i am and feeling inadequate like me then we join forces because then that will give us something to kind of you know bash the system and 
bash the wives who have decided that they are now independent and going their own way and and stuff. And therefore, you we are ignoring them, which makes them even angrier. And we don't have a system that recognizes or enables them to do, to even learn some of these things without their egos being damaged because there's a lot of pride involved as well. You know, I can't be seen to be this kind of neonatal person who doesn't even know how to switch on a computer or, you know, whatever it is that the younger generation takes for granted. And no, I, I, I can't do it. Where am I going to go? Nobody helps me. Um, and there is my wife. She's independent. She She's driving. She knows all of these things. She's FaceTiming. She's whatever, Zooming. And here I am, you know. Who am I? I've disappeared. So I'm angry. Yeah. I, I, I think it goes back to what Janos said about uh, power versus force. And we can't try and force change well but it's real it's real change is going to come when people are happier and it's really because prejudice is really about someone who's bitter and looking for some someone else to blame um and who do we blame we we blame our partner in a relationship or we blame the others um, and this is, it's kind of tied up in the football tribalism because we, so like, <laughs> there's a kind of a pride in a national identity, which is an artificial construct. Um, and there's this idea that other people are different, like not our family, not our community, not our country. Um, and it's that breaking down of barriers that if we had, like we've done well in, like in our society of being so rich, but how do we allow children to starve to death in other countries when our food is rotting um, and we have so much? Um, and it's really about, be, people below the line don't feel that they have enough. Um, Sabila. Uh, I was just going to add on, um, there's this, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is a human rights activist and she says to the best, she's got this TED talk and a book on we should all be feminists. And in that she talks about how men are caged in this idea of toxic masculinity. Because for women, fortunately, we have platforms like Kathleen Moran and Michelle Obama and etc. have created these platforms and safe spaces where women can go and talk about and bring awareness on mental health and emotional health and any struggles we have as women in society. But unfortunately, men don't share the same level of platform. So men are told they're caged in this idea of toxic masculinity. They're told you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to show emotions. You're supposed to be hard and you're supposed to go out and earn and provide for your family. And I think that's why suicidal rate in men is higher than in women because they break un under that because they're confused because they're told you can't behave like a normal human being. So I think men need to have a similar platform 
like how feminism is a movement and is strong, something similar and righteous needs to come for men so that they can open up and people can know it's okay to talk, it's okay to cry, it's okay to show emotions. This is all part of being human. I think we have to accept too that um, as society has got richer and there are more of us on the planet, we have become commodities within the system of production. And as a result of that, standardization becomes the norm. So when you're being educated in school, you're on a conveyor belt. You need to learn the various subjects that will enable you to fit into the production cycles of whatever it is that you are going to participate in to earn a living. And as you become more and more part of this automated system, what is being stripped away is humanity, your human, your, your human attributes, because that is variation and what you need is standardization. And so it deals with giving you the tools to perform, but it doesn't give you the tools to deal with how you feel. And so we grow up learning how to do things, but we do not learn how to express our feelings because that has been stripped out of everything. It's stripped away from the, it's, you know, because there's too much variation in that. How do you standardize that? How do you make that part of the production, productivity? So it is on the side for the psychologists and the therapists and whoever it is to come in when there is an issue to be dealt with, not to equip people with the basic tools as part of their evolution, their growing up. And I'm teaching them that these are your coping skills. So, yes, men are, boys are not supposed to cry. You're supposed to be tough. But um, if you look at it, really, that's a cop out in a sense, because it says, if I tell you that and you behave in that way, all of the other things that you're doing, I don't have to deal with them. And so if the boy cries, oh, he's a sissy, ah, oh, you're this and what have you. And so we label but we don't address the underlying issues. And so we are all ill-equipped. Yeah, I mean, this this has been a little bit frustrating for me to hear because there are people with conceptual delusions talking about, oh, this is how it should be and we can change this and, oh, I hate this cause and that. But let's start with the basic premise of what we have. Okay, what do I mean by what we have? So we have a societal structure. There is a layer cake. There is a type of pyramid that exists. Like it or don't. And there is room for change. But that starts with us trying to change the world and all these. And look, I was in the pub last night watching England and I had to listen to a couple of really shitty remarks, which I just thought were from like decades ago. And it, you know, unbelievable. But I didn't get angry. I didn't try to contest them. I didn't tell them what they ought to be doing. I didn't try to teach them to be a better human. I see a larger picture and it's something along the lines of they did a test with rats and the rats in the shitty cage were, were taking higher levels of morphine every day. The rats in a more pleasant cage who were able to uh, have uh, other rats to play with, have toys, 
They still took the morphine, but in a much uh, smaller dose. And in the same way that the reaction to British people, to immigrants at the working class level is disdain, absolute disdain. <laughs> at the middle, upper class level, they're saying welcome. I, I literally, I have literally seen this in Bristol where people have held placards saying welcome, welcome to our country. So you try to understand that, that this is part of the internal structure which Jordan Peterson, you know, like him or don't, does point to exist within our animal kingdoms all the way down to lobsters, uh, to the top of the food chain. So if we can perhaps, if we're not political activists, come away from a dream world of believing, well, it should be like this, it shouldn't be like that, and, you know, I'm going to be angry about it and tell other people what, but actually just how we treat people. Like last night, no response from me to any racist comments, no kind of hatred. That's not going to help anything. That's They carried on as they did and they carry on as they will. It's my choice how I respond to it and I react and how I deal with things. Like it wasn't directed at me, but still it was bad enough to hear. So yeah, I, I hope if you garnered anything from that is that it's the cage that people find themselves in, which can define their behavior and their attitudes. Um, I'm just going to ask if Nicole or Betty have anything to share since you've, you've been. Oh yeah. Well, I was just wondering a few minutes ago, Rob, you said that, um, something like the relationship is set and then you were talking about the uh, capacity. So as I understand it, the capacity is the person's ability to be sane, balanced, their, their emotional resources and for them to deal with stress and to ba basically communicate openly, honestly, and to meet you where you are. But then you're saying it's set. So if you meet someone and then say after the three month mark, the mask starts to drop and you can see that they're insecure, but they're insecure and unaware it's a question then of you responding to that information is it so in other words if you forget someone say they're avoidant and you're trying to communicate with them and they don't meet you where you are and communicate or openly and honestly then that's the information you need to make a decision then isn't it what i'm saying is how, how much of the ball is in our court it, yeah. it's about us responding to what's in front of us isn't it yeah um Okay, so we're, um, so the capacity is like generally how happy you are you, how resilient are you, how able are you to cope with stresses and life events um, and still be at your best. Um, so and so you can measure that physically in HRV, like your heart rate variability is 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 like a, a measure of your resilience, physical and emotional resilience. Yes, yeah, so, so there's that. And it's also about psychologically, how well can you reframe things? How can you heal from hurt? All of those things, generally, how positive, optimistic, all of that stuff, that's your, your capacity. So that's, so ultimately relationships are defined by our level of cap capacity because the breaking point of a relationship is when your capacity can no longer cope with the stress that the relationship's creating. So um, when I say it's set, what I'm talking about is the conflicts that you're going to have is already set. You don't know what they are until you go through life and there's this challenges. So for many people, it's when they have children, 
because they've never come under as much stress. And that's when you find out different stuff about people. So, um, so when, so what I mean is people are like icebergs. Like you see the tip of the iceberg when you first know them. Um, so people might say like, oh yeah, I like children. I like to have children. But 10 years later, the problems are in the way that they see parenting, the way that they see money, um, the way that they see sex, the way that they see career, all of that stuff is, and it's not even that people are hiding it. It's that we don't know who we are and like who we are is constantly evolving constantly. We're becoming more aware. So the idea is set is that we have a blueprint. We have a blueprint of who we really are, like biologically, psychologically, emotionally, all of that is, is there, but like, if we, that's the beauty of the statue. If you get rid of everything else, that would make that person to be the work of art. But it's all this other stuff, like the clay that's all been piled on top. So most people, most of their um, beliefs don't come from them. And that's where we're talking about prejudice. It's people have taken on cultural beliefs because if something is truly who you are, it would be if you, <clears throat> if you were brought up in New Zealand, Cambodia, um, Mexico, anywhere, that would be with you. But most, like if you look at every culture is different and it's culturally different because of either the land or the um, the environment or the circumstances of that society that has created the beliefs, like the difference between Catholic, Christian, Muslim, um, Hindu, Buddhist is to do with the, the circumstances of the cultures, the circumstances of like where they were originated. So if Jesus had, had been... Um, brought up in a Native American, it would be an entirely different religion. If he was like Christianity is basically taking a few of the lessons of Jesus and put them into the existing pagan system that was already there. They've even changed his birthday for like the, the pagan holidays. So, um, so when I say it's set, what I'm really saying is it's, it's all the hidden stuff and it's someone's willingness to change, willingness to adapt, um, like the chemistry of what's going to create that change. Okay. Well, then the part that's on us is that we, we should see what's in front of us rather than ignoring warning signs or red flags or being deluded. Yeah, and then we should we should have an honest response both for ourselves and for them. So, we, again, in in the example of someone who's not uh, 
communicating openly, honestly, and transparently, if they're not meeting us 50-50, then it's up to us to use that information and make a decision moving forward rather than to stay and then complain about them. Okay, there's, there's something in that, in that people are always community, communicating um, and silence is, uh, is an answer. Yeah, Carl is saying, seems to be saying uh, it's hard to do that, which I appreciate. But I think like, like I said before, isn't that the point of this education? Yeah. Um, Because it's not, it's not easy to tell people to, you know, F off. But at the end of the day, if they're not meeting you halfway, what else can you do? I know. You can't stay there and bang your head on a brick wall, can you? I I do completely I do completely agree with you. It's just that if you're in the midst of a gripping attraction that's um, chemical, that's powerful, that has so much hope and potential, but not looking at the stuff, you you can't see it. Or if you can see it, you don't want to see it. And I've had a direct first-hand experience of that. So that's why I'm saying it's hard. I'm not just, you know, um, talking my opinion. I'm saying literally <laughs> first-hand of that. And it's, I don't know how... Well, that's fair enough. But again, I mean, we all live and learn, don't we? We've all had the sort of, the, the whole limerence thing and where I'm in love. But I think what we see when we, we step back afterwards is that it's one thing to feel emotions and lust or passion, but you have to look at the reality of the situation. And that's why I keep saying that's where this education comes in because we're not naive now. If you've already experienced it and lived it, and on top of that, you have this education, so now you have the actual insight. If you apply... The, apply this education then you can't go into it with your eyes closed and not seeing the red flags yeah yeah i i think and this is where where also with like feminism and all these movements is what they bring when you have awareness you can never go back like if you've never seen something you 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 always like ignorance is there hidden but you just don't see it but once there's a light shone on it you can't go back, then it's a choice. Yeah, so um, Carl, Carl, I would say to you, if you had, you, if you found yourself in the same circumstance again, you wouldn't respond the same way, would you? Now that you've A, had that experience, and B, you have this awareness from this education, and right. that's the whole point, you wouldn't respond the same way, would you, moving forward? I, I honestly don't know. I hope so, if I'd be strong enough to turn my back on it, or like Nicole says, you might have the hope that the person can evolve, which is a false hope of trying to change somebody, but the, the capacity that they may, they Carl, may if grow. You can, if you can see something in front of you and you know it's wrong and you've done it before, then now you're just kicking yourself, aren't you? I know, but it's the same as Rob talked about abusive relationships where people go back. There's this hope, there's this fervent holding on. But all I'm saying is, is that the power intensity of attraction, be it um, physical, sexual or energetic or emotional, intellectual will and has the power to override you. But this is our work. Like you say, you are right. This is our work to overcome that and to perhaps put it down on paper, pros and cons. But who does that? you know, when you're in the midst of something so powerful, I don't just, I'm learning. Many of us have had the heady, intense um, attraction relationship with the bad boy. You know, we love the bad boy, but we know that the bad boy is not good for us. And so we've got to leave the bad boy at some point, but while you're involved with that bad boy, oh, it is bliss. It is, 
Yeah, but if the bad boy is a re- really a bad boy and he's bad for you, the, the, the point is as you mature and you have this education, you're not actually attracted or finding the bad boy appealing. We're seeing that actually the bad boy is very superficial. It's just I agree with you. I agree with you. But as Carl is saying, if you are in the midst of that attraction and even though your intellectual self is telling you that you know it's bad for you because it's not going to go anywhere, um, it is very difficult because of all of the... Um, all of what you think you are getting from it, even though you know that for a long-term relationship, this is a no-go because those those bad boys are not um, here for the, there for the long haul. But well, it's like the, it's like the difference between eating uh, whole whole grain foods and eating junk food. After a while, you realise you can't sit there eating cake all day. You know, it's going to be bad for you. So what I'm saying is, as a, as a mature person, you start to make the wise decision. And not not eat the cake and then feel sick later because you know exactly that's what's going to happen. It's going to make you feel sick. I agree with you, and you learn you learn to um, say no from the very beginning or to move away because you know that it's not good for you. Um, and you yeah, that's all I'm saying is that this education gives us the tools to do that. Yep, and it's really about as we become more aware um, and we refine our skills. <laughs> That, that becomes easier to do. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is. And sometimes it's learning from the pain because there's um, like sugar has an attraction um, and um, until you link the, the feeling of like discomfort with it. Um, so, but really it's about like, really it's relationship journey Uh, like other people are going to be who they are and it's how we navigate around them the problem people have is they have what they want and the real and um like they have what they they have like two fixed points and that's where people get stuck but if you only have the, the fixed point of of ultimately what you want and then you can remain flexible among other people but um yeah, I was just gonna say if you have anything to share, Betty, like of, of your insights or what you've learned, because you have a, a great way of um summing things up. Um, yeah, I was saying when we were in the breakout room, the uh, most powerful thing I've learned is to be authentic because I spent a lot of time being a people pleaser and walking on eggshells, and this is just in all relationships in general. But I really learned that. A relationship, as you said before, it's about um, self-disclosure and vulnerability and allowing them to have the possibility of hurting you or rejecting you. But if you don't take that risk, then you don't know. So I really learned to be uh, open and honest and vulnerable and not wear that mask so much. And I I really uh, appreciate the message you said. It's not so much about uh, the, the people, but the connection between the people and that connection can only come when you have that self-disclosure and vulnerability. So for me, that's been the most powerful thing. And I think that really relates to what we've been speaking to just now. Uh, when you when you like a Disney fantasy version of someone, you're not actually being authentic to yourself. So I think it's about you being your authentic self and relating to them as a flawed human being rather than a perfect Disney fantasy and seeing them for who they truly are rather than who you want them to be or what the image that you're projecting onto them. 
Veronique. Yes, I mean, I feel that when you're ready, everything dissolves anyway. And as long as you have resistance, as long as you have a, a reaction, it means you still have something inside you that is calling for that experience. I mean, that's what I find. And then whatever Betty says, it all comes naturally. You have the tools, you have this. When you when you really are ready, that you don't need to learn that experience in that relationship or any relationship. It could be parent and children and that, that's when it comes automatically so so that you know that it, it nature will take care of it whatever mm. you call it yeah i think i think that's that's something um it's a really great point is sometimes we need to make the mistake a few times um and i think one of the things we need to do is not be afraid of the mistakes the problem is that people have find it difficult to heal. The problem is people lose themselves and then don't know how to pick themselves up. Um, and I think the awareness and, and learning to get over a breakup, to learning to get over hurts, learning not to take the hurt personally, not to... Um, it hurts because we there's a sort of scarcity mentality the feeling that this person might have been the one there isn't anyone else who could be um, and that panic creates the pain um, and knowing that you are stronger than that there is there is so many people so easily to find other people um, that it isn't a problem of everyone thinks the big problem in the relationship if I if I just find this person um, it's not the person, it's when you're ready for the person. Um, and, and when you can do that, um, then, then it, it, like everything falls into place, but it's, yeah, um, not being afraid of making the mistake, not being afraid of getting hurt, um, not being, um, scared to make a mistake. That ties into having a growth mindset as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's recognising that a mistake is not... So So the idea of growth mindset for anyone who's not familiar with Carol Dweck's work is she talks about a, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. People with a fixed mindset um, believe that if, if, if they fail at something, it's because they're not good at it. Um, and so they don't tend not to try again. And they think, oh, I, I tried that. And this is where people are like, oh, I tried relationships, I can't do them. Um, people with a growth mindset recognise that the first time you do something, you might not do it great, um, but it's a skill to be learned. And people with a growth mindset believe that they can learn, believe that they can get better. Oh, that's what we do as the child. Think about that. You fall down from the bicycle. What you do? You keep up and continue. Yeah. You know, when I was 32, I went to the race for the triathlon. And um, it was a swimming and it was a bicycle. I went down in the hill with like 50 kilometers per hour. Somewhere, somehow, the first wheel didn't reach the road. So I couldn't break. I was just heading down in the road. Somewhere, somehow, you, have you ever seen in circus the guy who get launched out from the cannon? So I was launched out from the bicycle like that, you know? 
I was ending up my helmet open, you know, broke like a hell. I was counting the birds around my head for like probably 10 minutes. I was swearing, I was doing everything, you know, whatever possible. Then I make it straight the bicycle and I continue the triathlon. Because I'm a warrior, I never give up. And that's all about, you stand up and you continue. You didn't die, so continue. And I finished the triathlon. Look at the 127 position from the 150, but <laughs> I still finish it. Oh, almost done. Who, who, who's going for a bike ride with Janos? Thanks for no, 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 Right. Well, thank you everyone for sharing your opinions and sharing your insights and sharing your, and just the honest level of sharing. Um, Rob, can you tell us what your biggest insight was for the year? Oh, don't ask me such difficult questions. Um, I think, I think, as I said, it's it's really um, how much is due to capacity. I think I started off probably last year, um, probably heavily on relationship skills, um, and then realised that the skills were. I think well, last year. Um, I think last year when I started off, it was it, these groups. It was about the four relationship truths. That was the first meetup, um, and I was looking at the idea of a myth being wrong, like the myth. Um, but so really, for me, it's it's about how much is due to capacity. And, and how much is the basic conflict between us being a human animal living in an artificial world? Um, so I think there is a, a basic, all conflict comes from that, that we are born biologically seeking connection. We'd rather be friends we'd rather be, um love than hate but there is this like the, in in the artificial society we have this need for status we have this need for resources um and we have like the need for the emotions that we want to feel the connection and so in that context, like the game that's set determines how people will play. So if you want to look at football and rugby, it's the, it's the rules, it's the values placed on it, the pressure put on it that determine the behaviours. And in the same way, it's the cultural limitations that create all of our problems. That was a lot, but thank you. Um, I wanted to ask Rob, Rob, can you tell us about your relationship <laughs> and how that's going going? I'm just interested because obviously you've, you've amassed this knowledge and then when you've put it into practice, let's say, um, just let's just take, say, the last, uh, just the last year. How, how has it been for you? How, how have you enjoyed it? And yeah, can you tell us? Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so I would answer the question in terms of relationship journey because it's like the whole message that I have is it's not about the relationship. So let me see, last year. So last year I was in a relationship and it was like one of those relationships where you realise that the person isn't who you thought it was and it's not a relationship that you want to commit to. So, um, so yeah, I left that relationship. And it's also an awareness of when you look at it, it's about capacity. So I talked about it being capacity. And I realised with the, the pressures in my life, um, so like I, I'm seeing people, you know, um, but it's recognising that really, for that for the level of relationship that you want you need to have the capacity for it um and i realized that working on these ideas and sharing these ideas is a bigger focus to me because i i'm, I'm also i'm also a carer for my parents um and so they have alzheimer's so um which was also one of, the, one of the situations in the relationship where it kind of came to the point where I wasn't, I think she recognised I wasn't committed or I wasn't going to be in a position for, I don't know when, to really commit to it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so it's recognising being in a relationship also means giving, um, like, I'm quite happy um, I'm quite self-sufficient. And so being in a relationship means a level of um, being, feeling like you're not giving that up or, or being in a relationship where you can still have that. So I was married and then kind of got married for a reason of, because it's what you do. It's kind of not really had, I wasn't, I didn't really date enough and hadn't really worked out dating then. Um, and I got divorced about 10 years ago and my daughters were nine and 11, I think. Um, and I was, uh, the, um, like I had, I looked after them in the week. Uh, and my ex-wife had them at weekend. So in those 10 years, like since then, or 10, 11 years, um, I was always, um, like I, I didn't want them to have a step Um, so I was never really committed, but I, I kind of learned dating. Um, and I thought, yeah, it'd be nice to be with someone. And I suppose my last relationship was, um, the one where I saw like, it was fun. It was fun to be in. Um, but then, like my where my daughters are now older and, and my adults um but yeah my situation is that i don't know really how long like uh, um i can stay at this you know or, or when i'll be free to commit so that's really my relationship journey it's quite a long wow. answer no, it's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, yeah, great. But if you can phrase it as the journey and not the relationship, because... Yes. 
because I, I think that's re that's really important. I think we um, there is so much societal pressure on the relationship, which is why divorce is seen as a, as a failure. And I think it's a choice. It's a choice of being in a relationship. Um, and I think there is seasons for being in and for not being in a relationship. Well, you know, when you say capacity, could you say emotional regulation or emotional intelligence instead? Is that what you mean, really? Is how in touch the person is with their own emotions and how they respond to other people's emotions? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, like I said in mine, like I recognise the demands on me at the moment, like the feeling that I feel like with integrity that I need to responsibilities I need to take care of um, meant that I recognised that I didn't I didn't have full capacity to be like in that in that deep level of relationship. Um, so there's there's that like the willingness to commit kind of thing. Um, it's yeah it's emotional intelligence in being able to cope with stress, resilience, growth mindset comes into it. Um, time to time to the time to um, pay attention to the relationship to give the attention that it needs. Yeah, as part of capacity too. So the availability as well. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. It's, it's emotional intelligence, availability, all of that. Um, really, is what determines a relationship. So. I with your parents as well, Rob, is because I, I come across this a lot and I've been in the same position. I know it, it, you feel like, um, especially if it's, if it's your parents, it's a duty, really. You know, it's now time to honour and give time back to those that gave you time when you were younger. And, and there is very much around timing. And there's only so much that you can stretch in so many different directions without not doing it properly in one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is 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 feeling like yeah, is that okay? I've got a puppy that's holding his bladder, and I better let out. So um, thank you, everyone, um, and hopefully see you next week. Yeah, happy birthday to the group! Yay. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Was oh. it today? Was it today? This week that we started, or this is just. No, it was, uh, was it yesterday? I think it was the 12th or the 13th. No, the 13th is tomorrow. It's tomorrow's oh. anniversary. Well, you can all wish me happy belated birthday. My birthday was on the 9th. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, we didn't know. Happy birthday. We'll know next year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> happy, did you have a good birthday? Oh, yeah, my son took me as a surprise to West Whistling, so I got my fill of, of water and beach and sand, and oh, I was in seventh heaven. <laughs> bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, bye. Have a good week. <laughs>